0: Reading Short and Deep Hi, I'm Jesse And I'm Eric And today we're reading Short and Deep The King of Maisie May," a story of the Klondike by Jack London First published in The Youth's Companion, November 30th, 1899 And this is a very early story by London And it's also a YA. Um, At least that's what I think it is.
1: What do you think about it? Um, That's an interesting suggestion. I think that in an odd way, it is mostly a work that follows the template of the traditional Western. Mm -hmm. But... It has a lot of the feel of a standard male-oriented fairy tale. And the reason I stopped uh, when you just said that, Jesse, about this being a YA, it occurs to me that maybe that's why this feels like a YA, or conversely, for YA work, young adult literature that has a male protagonist Maybe often that's how it arises structurally and Mm. uh, generically. Uh, London is famous, among other things, for being an innovator in genre. Uh, And so this is a very appealing idea to me. Tell me more about your reading this as a YA story. Well, um I'm not sure what made me pick this
0: particular story for us to, to look at, but I do, you know, I've been doing a lot of London over the last few years, and I just finished reading a biography of his um, that was fascinating, and um, I be- somewhere in my researches I've, I came across uh, the fact that he refers to this story um, in passing as not his best work. But what he meant by that is that he wasn't doing it uh, to express something true of himself, but rather he wanted to be sold. He wanted to write for a particular market and to get into that market to sh- to show to himself that he he could be a real writer and uh pu- you know be published and. And yet, um, I know that he also compared this story to another one that is has a YA version and an adult version, which is much more famous. It's called uh, "To Build a Fire," and we have references to the th- sort of events that could have happened in this same story universe uh, in that in that story, uh, where somebody gets their feet wet and they get frostbite and You know, they can't walk anymore. Um, Yeah. But the difference between uh, the two versions of To Build a Fire is the difference between uh, being in genre YA with a kind of YA stamping, steel stamping process on it, you know, giving it the shape and form of something. And the adult version or the revised version of To Build a Fire, which is has a hard ending. This has the opposite of that. It's a soft ending, a uh, kind by, of happy this ending
1: in the story we're talking about today.
0: Right, right. right. So this is—it's—it's it's fascinating to look at this story as a product of a market, and see how how he can ex- sort of still be an innovator inside of that market.
1: Let me make a couple of points here. I, I, I like where you're going. Uh, first, just for those who haven't taken the. Uh, opportunity to read the story uh let me just say uh, quickly uh, a, a summary um young walt masters uh, a 14 year old in the yukon who was born out there uh, apparently he's the only white child from thousands of miles um and is never it, it begins by telling us how how distant he is from civilization. He's never had a pair of shoes on his feet, for example, in fact, instead moccasins, apparently London's narrator wants to see that as a dichotomy as if moccasins couldn't be thought of as a variety of shoes. Um, Walt is left alone on the, the father's, uh, gold claim in the Yukon and it's wintertime. It's 40 below. Uh, that temperature is repeated a number of times. Mm-hmm. um, left alone to watch the claim, uh, but it's already been registered, so legally it can't be jumped, Um, and also the neighboring claim of an older man named Lauren Hall, uh, who has gone off to Dawson, about 70 miles away, to register the claim, but because he is old and had no dogs, uh, to help him the sled dogs, it's going to take a while, and of course, young Walt sees a party of claim jumpers who try to who decide they want Lauren's uh, claim. They drive in some stakes, but what Walt does is steal their sled and 10 of their 18 dogs and tries to get to Dawson City earlier to register the claim for Lauren. Most of the story is just a chase. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's it's one can see that. It would be terrific to film in the modern style of uh, comic book uh, chases or something uh, uh, approaching the famous scene and bullet going down up and down the San Francisco hills. It's it's a breathless chase with uh, death and rifle bullets zinging over Walt's head and so forth. Uh, But at the end, when he's finally pulling away, Um, He has enough lead time to pick up Lauren Hall, whom he encounters, and bring him to Dawson City, where he gets to register his claim himself. And for that act of bravery and heroism, we get that last line, which is the very first and only time that the title word gets used. And because of what Walt Masters did on this night, the men of the Yukon have become very proud of him and always speak of him now as the king of Maisie May, Maisie May being the creek along the bank of which both Walt's father and Lauren Hall now have registered gold claims. So it's a simple story. Uh, The young boy wants to see injustice prevented. He risks his life in a race that takes most of the story and succeeds in helping the old man or older man have a registered right to what is his due. That's the story. Um, that's the one thing I would say. Another thing I would say, though, is that London's most famous work, um, such as To Build a Fire or The Call of the Wild, interestingly enough, isn't the work that makes him most prominent as a literary historical figure that is one thinks of his innovations in science fiction and one thinks of his important socialism and uh, efforts on behalf of the working man uh, for which the most famous work is probably the gold, the iron heel, which very few people read these days. Yeah. What I'm going to ask you, Jesse is when London says that the king of Maisie May isn't really expressing him, but he's thinking for about an audience. Is it possible that expressing himself means being a bit doctrinaire, mm. whereas working for an audience means the kind of negative capability that... Shakespeare is praised for Mm -hmm. being able to take himself out of the story and just write the story. Uh, I'm wondering London is not really the best critic of London, because I don't think this is a bad story at all.
0: I agree. I agree completely. Um, And what, and yet I do see exactly what, like what he's saying. So one of the things that he, he reportedly did to become the writer is he just read and read and read and figured out the formula of every magazine that he wanted to sell to, and then he said, "Okay, this is what they buy. They buy at this length with a story like this, and I can do that." <laughs> he, was, he was supremely self-confident after a certain point in his writing because he he would look at his writing and then he would look at what sells, and you know there was a lot of a lot of publications back then. This is before radio. This is before television. This is. Uh, the main market for consuming fiction is not you know not the films not the theater it's it's print and so he's doing a formula in this and yet so many times throughout the story we say all oh, this is a jack london story right <laughs> so right. um and the fact that he re- rewrote his most famous um his fos- most famous ya story into a, uh, hard story, uh, with a bitter ending instead of a, uh, sort of a happy ending. Um, it's, it's striking. And I, there's another point I want to point out to you that I think is cool is you, you saying how good a film this would make. Um, you're right. It absolutely would. And it kind of has been filmed. There is a sequence at the beginning of the third Indiana Jones movie, um, in which a Boy Scout, Indiana Jones, comes across some, not claim jumpers, but some um, uh, grave robbers, and who have illegitimately, and without following the proper rules of archaeology, dug up uh, something that they are not entitled to dig up and sell, and he grabs the item and runs off and keeps them at bay with a whip just as he does in this story um there there is no this is set in arizona rather than um the yukon so there's no dog mushing but there's horse riding and then a train uh ride where people are jumping after him and people are shooting at him and it follows the exact same formula and uh in the version that I'm holding in my hand, which is the second publication, or at least the second major publication, um, is it, uh, for a magazine called Boy's Life, which is, uh, I believe, explicitly mentioned in that. Uh, I believe that's explicitly mentioned in the Indiana Jones movie. Um, but more importantly, it's the magazine for scouts. I, I just think it's it's remarkable that it it is... This is in the second issue of Boys Life, sort of saying, here's what we're all about. It's on the cover. And we're getting a boy's own adventure, as they call call it in the UK, a story for boys. There's not a girl in sight, right? Set in the Yukon, where one boy surrounded by men has to man up and defeat the bad guys.
1: Yeah, that's certainly true. There's let me talk for a minute about the Western, Um, because Indiana Jones set in Arizona and um, the King of the Macy May set in the Yukon both have to do with the nature of frontier existence. Mm -hmm. In the case of Indiana Jones, we're worrying about retrieving cultural artifacts and preserving culture rather than letting it be. Commodified Mm -hmm. in the case of the king of Maisie May. uh, It seems to go without saying. That it is perfectly fine to take the riches out of the earth and you have a right to them simply because you found them first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so there's two different kinds of riches coming out of the earth. Uh, One kind, the cultural artifacts were actually created by other people the kind here just exist and that sort of existence. And then the notion that, that a young boy has the right to determine what he wants, um, is I think crucial to fairy tales. So there's these two different, uh, there's fairy tales with male protagonists like, uh, the young, the little shoemaker, uh, or the young tailor. uh, boys who are typically tricksters and do things they shouldn't do and are rewarded at the end as opposed to the fairy tales that have female protagonists who have to show obedience and long suffering and then they're rewarded at the end so we've got cinderella on the one hand and the little tailor on the other walt masters is a little like the little tailor mm-hmm. he, he he thinks of himself as a whole lot more capable than one could possibly imagine. And like the boy protagonists in fairy tales, it's OK for him to steal. I mean, yes, those claim jumpers are about to steal from Lauren Hall. But there's no question whatsoever, even hinted at, yep. that's <laughs> anything wrong with him taking 10 of their 18 dogs. Yep. There's not right. And he's just, of course, you know. To right or wrong. I'll do whatever I want to do. The end fully justifies the means. And the end here is one having to do with civilization. Nowhere in the story is he called king except at the end. Right. And yet, just like the end of The Little Tailor or The Six Soldiers of Fortune or a whole set of other uh, Tom Thumb, you wind up with the little boy becoming the king. So I think it's it's interesting. They don't call him the hero of the Maisie May, right? They don't call him the protector of the Maisie May. They call him the king of the Maisie May. An interesting parallel. Now, more broadly, though, I think this is a a Western story. In the traditional Western, this is the uh, the structure that uh, John Cowellty first. Uh, articulated in a volume called six gun mystique, which was then uh, reissued as part of a larger, larger book called adventure, Mr. Romance um, on genre fiction. The the traditional Western has an in-group and an out-group. The in-group could be uh, the townspeople. Uh, The out-group then would be the, the ranchers. Uh, the cattlemen the in-group might be the wagon train the out-group might be outlaws or Indians uh, the in-group typically if we think of a show like Gunsmoke uh, the which was the longest running show in the history of TV and still is for live action the 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 in-group has women and it has institutions of civilization including courts and in this story claim registry offices and mm-hmm. and schools. The out group does not have those things, but it has much, much stronger survival skills so that they can in fact damage and attack the in-group. The in-group wants to move civilization West on the frontier. The out group simply wants to take advantage of the resources that are available West of the frontier. And there's a tension between the two in the traditional Western a hero arises. That hero, for whatever reason, will have the skills of the out group but share the values of the in group. Walt Masters is exactly that Western hero. Yep. Like the Lone Ranger, he is alone, even though he's got a father somewhere. The only white boy for a thousand miles. He's always had his feet in moccasins. He has all of the survival skills that one would expect of a native of those lands. So the fact that he can beat these two or three white guys who come along, uh, one quite pointedly meant to be an Irishman, called an Irishman, the fact that he can beat them is appropriate, but he shares the values of the in-group. And in this case, although the in-group has no women, we don't see them, the in-group is absolutely connected to Dawson. That is, the registry of claims is the goal that the hero, the lone hero, is trying to make possible for the old man. So to keep the elderly safe, to make the legal requirements around property, in effect to put fences of words around property so that people can profit by it, That's what the in-group does. The out-group tries to steal whatever it is the in-group is keeping for themselves. And we have a lone hero here who mediates between them to the success of the in-group. It's a standard Western. The reason I want to put that in terms of a fairy tale as well, though, is that it's a Western that never shows us. The in-group, it never shows us the Mm. women, as I said when we began, not a female to be seen anywhere in this story. In fact, what we get is a kid who gets justified in separating from his father. And as Vladimir Propp taught us in a true oral folktale, the protagonist must become at the beginning separated from authority, whether it's the death of a parent or going off into the woods or whatever. Separated from the father, he's gone off to prospect. And then on his own, he performs a journey that restores him to a new kind of power. He manages to become the master of his own fate. Walter Walter means in it's an old Germanic name. It means the, the head of the army. And Walter masters these claim jumpers not for himself, but for society at large. And that way, it's not just the egotistical uh, fantasy involvement of identification with a male fairy tale character. It is, in fact, a standard Western. And London has put these things together, which we can see at the beginning, the setup, and the end. And in between, he's tied them together with a rousing race. Yep. He's a terrific writer.
0: He is. Uh, I want to point out how good the opening is, too. It's, it's fascinating the way it's written. It's fascinating what it does. It, it sort of casts the spell that the rest of the story will, will execute. And um, I also want to point out that um, that term, King um, and the King of the Maisy May, it, it has a particular contextual use in the Yukon, and especially in the Klondike. Um, those who struck it rich in the Klondike um, were called kings. So if you put your claim down on a particular tributary to the Yukon River and uh, you know struck it rich, when you come into Dawson, you're proclaimed a king, king of whatever the name of that little tributary is. And so there was many of the, such kings, and billions of dollars worth of gold were extracted from. From the Yukon in just a couple of years, and these kings became ultra wealthy. Started, you know, subletting their their claims and and in this story, uh, Jack London has turned you know turned his words into into money by proving that he can sell. Right in 1899, yes. one of his very first stories, he he turned his words into magic, spun. Spun them into magic in a way that his own prospecting totally failed to do. All he learned in the Yukon was how to write and how to how to how to see the world in ways that people could could be transformed by when they re- read his words when he came back because he didn't he didn't strike it rich in the in the conventional way. And uh, you can hear that right in the opening paragraphs. I, I want to read them. They're so good. Walt Masters, again, you you point out his last name is also his verb for the story, is not a very large boy, but there is manliness in his makeup. And he himself, although he does not know a great deal that most boy knows, knows much that other boys do not know. (laughs) He has never seen a train or cars, nor an elevator in his life. Train train of cars. Train of cars, nor an elevator in his life. And for that matter, he has never once looked upon a cornfield, a plow, a cow, or even a chicken. He has never had a pair of shoes on his feet, nor gone to a picnic or a party, nor talked to a girl. But he has seen the sun at midnight, watched the ice jams on one of the mightiest of rivers, and played beneath the northern lights, the one white child in thousands of square miles of frozen wilderness. Walt has walked all the 14 years of his life in the sun-tanned moose-hide moccasins, and he can go to the Indian camps and quote-unquote talk big with the men and trade calico and beads with them for their precious furs. He can make bread without baking powder, yeast or hops, shoot a moose at 300 yards, and drive the wild wolf dogs 50 miles a day on the pack trail. Last of all, he has a good heart. And it is not afraid of the darkness and the loneliness of of man or beast or thing. His father is a good man, strong and brave, and Walt is growing up like him. So this isn't even told past tense, right? It's It's saying he is doing this. This is Walt. He is alive, right? Now people call him the king of the Maisie May. You can be like this boy. That's what I'm, when I'm reading this now, I'm thinking about what my own aspirations were to be as a man when I was a young boy, you know. And I see, I see the power of these words in a, a way that I, I guess the editors of, of Youth's Companion and Boy's Life, the, who, who are targeting young kids for their readership, really, really saw the power.
1: I think you're absolutely right. The, the present tense is in part to put us right into this. Mm-hmm. Uh, fairy tales are set in a time out of time. And to some extent, Westerns are too. If we tell them today about some other time, we often frame them as if they are out of time, like the Indiana Jones stories. They mm-hmm. they don't feel really historical, even if there are historical references in there. Uh, but as you said, the, the Yukon gold rush, which the gold was first discovered in 1896, but it's really um, sorry, but it's only 97, 8, and 9 mm-hmm. and mostly in in 97 and 8 that you get the huge amount of gold coming out of it. By 1899, the gold rush in the Klondike and the Yukon, excuse me, is still going on but it's beginning to peter out it's there but it's still it's still possible and so another reason for using present tense is to make the story in the youth's companion seem like a newspaper absolutely right? this is what Walt's doing yeah so this is this is for us it's it's a throwback but you're quite right for for, for the youngsters who whom uh, the boston uh, publishers target this this looks like what they their parents are reading about in the newspaper but this is from the boys standpoint not the grown-up standpoint money is there law is there violence is there but it's all seen from the boys standpoint that's that makes it a ya for sure
0: his his um this is a time before the comics and the superheroes right but the the powers that are listed right here he's alone right so he's he's cooking his own meals <laughs> three meals a day he cooks for himself right he can shoot a moose at 300 yards right he can trade and talk big with the natives he is Batman right he, <laughs> he, he is a superhero and I mean when I was a kid I wanted to be Indiana Jones i I took archaeology at university because I thought I maybe maybe if I work hard at I can you know I can have these kinds of adventures because it's it's true we want to engage in the world and and make make a difference what a powerful story for I mean, we haven't really looked at YAs traditionally on this show before, but you can see this is them. This is them coming into existence, and and he's inventing a, a genre that that is still around, right? We've got books like The Hunger Games that inspire kids to you know go out and practice archery. <laughs> it's insane that, that something so powerful um, is is sort of not on the radar of the mainstream society in the way that I think it should be, because uh, stories are most important for children, and when you get when you get a really powerful one, even if it is in a you know written for a market, um, it's it's inspiring.
1: I think all that you say is true. I would point out historically uh, two things. One, we have other stories of adventure with teenage protagonists quite clearly and quite famously in what some people would call, have called, the greatest American novel, which is Huckleberry Finn. Sure. All right. And and that predates this. Yes, it does. Uh, And I'd also suggest, and I know that many people will not like hearing it, that stories are just as important to adults as they are to kids. The difference being most adults have decided which story they want to subscribe to. That is to say, (laughs) you know, whichever God you've decided to believe in and whichever book you've decided is the most important one, that's a story that was up for grabs at some time, but it's not up for grabs in most adults' lives now. One of the great things about being a kid when you see a future without clear enough boundaries around it is that the stories that you that inspire you are still up for grabs. That's why I think, particularly for kids, there's always more to say.
0: And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for reading short and deep.